What's up, everyone? Welcome to another show of the Commit First podcast. And today on the show, we have Chris Odegaard. Chris, how are you, man? I'm good. How are you, Sugi? All good. And thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, one thing that you guys got to know about Chris, like Chris is called The Prolific Investor. And um, he has a blog about it, a lot of content on this, on this topic. And as I'm getting into more kind of like trying to understand investments and you know what I should invest in and even get my financial education. I'm really trying to get more knowledge on the topic and I thought it would be a good idea to bring Chris on to give you some of uh, some of your knowledge Chris like and and so this episode is going to be about me picking your brain and what kind of like interests me because um, I'm going to say to everyone here on the podcast I know nothing about investments like I <laughs> I, I got my financial education just recently just got started get, getting into it um, first time I heard the term compound interest was when I was 34 years old about three years ago first time I ever heard about like oh you should invest like what do you mean like so rich dad poor dad only read it about three years ago like all this everything started for me really recently um, and I know you already have this like uh, method of investments what investments to have in place what not but before that I think let's start with your story and like because you're <laughs> I mean, you have a story um, that you said already started in 2008. Um, would love to hear it. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for having me on. So uh, for your international audience, I'm uh, out here near Seattle, Washington, uh, south of Seattle, a town called Kent. And um, my story is, uh, yeah, you know, I, I'm the pro prolific investor now, but I wasn't always the prolific investor. You know, for most of my life, I was a little bit like you, you know, no financial education in the schools, very little uh, growing up. And so you just, it's kind of the herd mentality. You just kind of do what everybody else does. So I was what I call a conventional investor for most of my life, conventional guy, you know, went to school, went to college, got a degree, got a job with a pension and benefits. And uh, I worked out here in Seattle for the Boeing company for 35 years and a little bit of, a little bit of time interspersed overseas. And uh, you know, uh, so the conventional wisdom kind of worked pretty pretty well for me, you know, up to a mm -hmm. point, put me in the middle class, you know, put kids through college. And, you know, I was on track for a great retirement at 65 or 70, you know, just, you know, <laughs> so just the, wow, the typical so, stuff. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and sorry, but I mean, you're right now, uh, if, you, if anybody is now hearing uh, Chris mm -hmm. and not what, like, not looking at Chris, Chris is not like uh, young anymore. Your kids are grown up like you already. And, and what you're saying is like, you already, uh, raise them in this like also kind of like non-financial educated um space right i mean so yeah. um yeah. and you already got got the epiphany after after they were already out of the house yeah, right? right right okay got yeah. it yeah well some so the the so something happened to me in uh in 2000 in 2009 I had what uh, we call, and I, I finally refer to, a, you know, as an investor, when you have a liquidity event, that's when a whole bunch of cash, you know, you know, a, a company goes IPO and a whole bunch of cash comes into your account. That's a liquidity event. Uh -huh. So in 2009, I had the opposite. It was called an illiquidity event where a whole bunch of money left, you know, my pocket. And uh, it was a life event called a Why? divorce for me. Oh, and, got it. Uh, and so uh, in 2009, I lost 55% of everything I ever owned, as well as thousands mm. of dollars per month. And I was, wow. you know, I was 40, 44 something years old, something like that. So wow. if I was going to, uh, you know, 
recoup and not work until I died, I was going to have to do something different. And uh, wow. a friend of mine had recommended a book to me and I bought it and it sat on my nightstand for longer than I care to admit. And then I was on a business trip on an airplane. I said, I'm going to read this damn book. Right. So, and the uh -huh. book was Robert Kiyosaki's rich dad, poor dad. And so kind of nice. like no, you no, having no, no, you know, like no financial education. I read that book and my mind almost exploded. <laughs> right. And oh, so that, that, that turned me on to the world of alternative investments of which real estate is one. And so between, so between 2009 and 2018, I just was hammered down consuming everything, you know, that I could, you know, educationally, as well as investing almost exclusively in alternative investments. And nine short years later, I had made up all that 55%. I'd lost, multiplied it many times over. I quit my job and now I never have to work again if I don't want to. And wow. what I do now as the prolific investor is I'm trying to, uh, I, I'm trying to, get people the financial education that I got later in life, you know, whenever you get it is fine, yeah. but you know, the earlier you get it, the better. So, yeah. so I started this blog and the YouTube channel and all the social media. And I have a book coming out uh, this year called get off your ass and manage your money, why you need alternative investments. So I'm trying mm. to, you know, pass along the knowledge so that people can go down this different path. And, you know, like I said, the conventional path, it wasn't terrible, but what I know now is that by, by investing in stocks, bonds, and mutual funds through, you know, in the U.S., the 401k system or whatever your country's kind of retirement system is that I did okay, but I left millions of dollars on the table. That was not the right way to mm -hmm. go. And so yeah. to the extent that I could get anybody off that path or maybe even get them before they get started, you yeah. know, that's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to do. Well, man, I mean, like you have like the story of, I mean, I, I, I see myself as someone who started, you know, at, at, an, at a later, like so late knowing about financial education, but um, at age 44, like this is amazing. And the fact that you actually nine years, uh, you know, really did well and, and got investments in place and multiplied your, your investments. Um, it's amazing. Um, and so I guess one of the things is I just know a lot of people listening right now don't even have financial education, don't even know what that means. So I, I would say like to anybody here, not if you haven't read Rich Dead, Poor Dead, Uh, please do. And another thing is like, I just want to mention, I had a conversation last week with a friend of mine um, and we were talking about like working very hard and he, he's not like making any, he's making money, he's spending it all and he's making a great salary, but he's spending it all. Mm -hmm. And I was like, right. well, when do you think this is going to end for you? Like, this is like your trajectory. You're going to make more and spend it all, make more, spend it all. You're not even, and this guy's not even married. Um, and not even like, you know, doesn't have any commitments like kids or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, doesn't have an apartment yet. And like, what do you think is going to happen in your life? Like, you're going to work until yeah. you're old and you're going to be freaking poor. Like, and, and yeah. people don't get this. Um, also going into, you know, we can talk about obviously like where countries are headed and, and the U.S. is how much trillions in debt right now? 24 trillion? <laughs> yeah. or, many, many trillions. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so like inflation is obviously happening it's and, and it's, someone's going to have to pay for all the money that was printed during covid like everything's gonna go in a very kind of not good way for anyone who doesn't have financial education so that's why i yeah. think like this is so important to talk about it 
um, and to have this as you know, as I, I'm I'm investing a lot right now in in, in this uh, because I I never had it coming up growing up and mm-hmm. past three years I've invested in learning more and 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 now I'm actually investing and investing like actually like really starting mm-hmm. to invest and and to 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 create a portfolio of some sort so yeah i would love to continue chris yeah um so uh we should probably you know i created something um when people uh ask me so chris what are you trying to do with this blog what's your mission and and so i started saying well you know i'm trying to grab these people that are stuck down here in conventional investments and, you know, rise them up into the world of alternatives. And what, mm-hmm. what came to my mind was um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, where you uh, have the physiological needs yeah. on the bottom level and self-actualization at the top and everything else in between. So I created this visual called the hierarchy of investors. And uh, I don't know if you can, if you yeah, do a screen yeah, yeah, share, sure. can put that up. I'll, I'll um, but that that's really, that's kind of the way um, that's kind of the way to 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 uh, the easiest way to talk about this. I'm gonna I'm gonna for a second just open Maslow's hierarchy of needs just to uh, have people understand yeah. what this is. All right, so um, mm-hmm. uh, sure. let's open the image in the new tab for a second, and here we go. So this is what we're looking at right now is Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Maslow's hierarchy of needs basically says a human uh, a human has some basic needs. Um, in which on top they can stack more needs uh, once they get those done. So you can have the top ones only if you have the ones below them. So first one is physiologic, physiological needs such as food, warmth, you know, rest, uh, you know, roof over your head. Um, safe. Then after that, you need safety. You need to know that this roof is not going away. The food is not going away, like safety needs. Most people are clinging to financial, you know, safety, obviously. Um, then after that, once you get that done, established, you have your belongingness and love needs, your relationships, basically. After that, you have self-esteem. And after that, you can uh, only then build self-actualization or self-fulfillment in life. So this is like Maslow's hierarchy needs. Cool. Um, and so going now to your uh, pyramid right here. And you can talk about that. Yep. So um, this is the the hierarchy of investors. And if you look down there in the lower right corner, in the shadow of the pyramid are conventional investments. So conventional investments Mm -hmm. are pretty much everything that's publicly traded. So on the stock market. So stocks, bonds, mutual funds, ETFs. It also includes cash and savings account. So those are conventional investments. Everything else everything else that's on the pyramid those are called alternative investments so it's it's funny if you went if you go to a financial planner and typically what most financial planners are doing they say i'm going to build you a diversified portfolio Hmm. well when they build you a diversified portfolio it's only in conventional investments you're only in this much of the Hmm. overall investing space there is so you're not diversified at all yeah and um that's and you know we all get uh there's a lot of money to be made by these brokerage firms, you know, taking a little tiny fee off of all of our all of our money, and uh, the returns down there, their shadow are are very are very small. So uh, once you get on the pyramid, I've compared uh, the advantages and disadvantages of conventional investments uh, versus alternatives across 13 different categories, and all but one of them is in favor of alternatives. So 
So the alternatives, uh, if we just kind of go through them, and these aren't all of them, these are just some examples. So you have notes. So you go, uh, and what a note is just a promissory note. So you go to buy a house and you get a mortgage. Well, that's a note. Well, a bank could own that mortgage or an investor like me could own that. And then so, and then there's every type of real estate, residential, commercial, you know, shopping malls, self-storage. So precious metals, gold, silver, cryptocurrency might even, there's, when I look on the internet, there's even kind of debate about whether cryptocurrency is its own asset class. Mm -hmm. Then you have business, business equipment, like, you know, heavy earth equipment, believe it or not, ATM machines, and mm -hmm. then private lending, you know, you've got somebody who has a business and they want to start a business, you've got some excess cash sitting around. So you, you enter into an agreement and you loan that person some money on some certain terms, mm -hmm. uh, energy, you know, uh, oil, gas, uh, that type of stuff. And there's some more real estate. And then uh, remember I said that the conventional investments were all publicly traded. So private shares of small businesses, that's an alternative investment. Mm -hmm. And then uh, uh, there's a really, there's a really good investment in cash value life insurance. And that's actually a whole other topic to itself. I actually just created a visual over the last couple of days about that. And then, and then being a, a syndicator or sponsor where you at, you're actually putting other people's money together to buy a bigger asset, like an apartment building or something like that. So that's, that's a, um, that's an alternative asset. And then over there on the left side, you'll see, a, you know, kind of a green stack and an orange stack and a red stack. Mm -hmm. And these are, you know, the advantages and disadvantages. So maybe at the top, the one, the only disadvantage of alternatives is that they're not liquid. And liquid just means that easily convertible to cash. So if you think about a stock bond or a mutual fund or ETF, with a push of a button on your computer screen, you can buy or sell that. In the alternative world, that's not possible. If you own an apartment building or you've purchased and leased a bunch of uh, earth moving equipment to somebody else, you can't instantly turn that to cash. So that's the really the only uh, disadvantage. And then uh, if you look at all the advantages uh, of moving up the pyramid, the very first one, not, not coincidentally, is financial education. You actually need to be smarter to do this kind of stuff. Uh, you know, anybody within 30 minutes can open up a, an account online at one of the major brokerage houses yeah. and start buying and selling, uh, you know, conventional investments without knowing anything. Uh, you know, if you want to go and buy some uh, investment real estate and get a loan, you're going to have to have some knowledge because the bank is not going to loan you any money if you don't know what you're doing, right? Because right. they're protecting their investment as well. So you have to have financial education. And when you move on the pyramid, you actually have real, dis you actually have real diversification, not just this diversification within conventional investments. Mm -hmm. And then another advantage is cash flow. You know, when you're in the stock market, unless you're kind of completely invested in dividend producing stocks, you don't, you're, you're basically buying and hoping for appreciation. When you buy an apartment building, you number one, get appreciation, but that apartment building generates excess cash, you know, every month that you could put it in your pocket, spend it or reinvestment. You typically right. don't get that. 
and and What's by the way, case? this is this is like Robert Kiyosaki's. When I um just before the episode, we were talking like um I was telling you about me reading like now I'm reading Robert Kiyosaki's Unfair Advantage. Would recommend everybody to read it. It's a book from 2011. I'm actually listening to it on Audible. It's great, and he's talking about um exactly that. He's he's saying alternative ways of um of investments are the ones that produce cash flow, and that's the most important thing. Most invest, investors go for capital gains, and that's what you like appreciation, like you said, and uh, that's a mistake. Um, and when you invest in capital gains, for instance, you buy a stock, you're hoping it will go up and then you'll profit from the uh, appreciation. And that means uh, you're not an investor, you're a trader. That's what he said. You're like, you're trading, <laughs> right? Um, so you're, you're a trader. You, you can't call yourself an investor. But uh, in, investors, real investors, they invest in cash flow. Um, and so, I mean, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. So definitely something Robert Kiyosaki will approve on, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. You know what, you know, when you, uh, in focusing on the cash flow and the real estate aspect, you know, what Robert would say is if you're going out and buying, a going a buying some kind of real estate, he would say always buy for cash flow. So if you go back to 2000, 2008, 2009, so a lot of people, and we're kind of in the same situation here in a lot of places in the world, certainly in certain parts of the United States where property values are just going like this. Yeah. And so that's what was happening in the run up to 2008. Property values were going like this and people were buying investment property and looking for that appreciation. Uh, and so, they, and so they, they didn't care about the cash flow. They just right. saw properties going up. I'll buy yeah. this. I'll sell it someday. And even if it costs them five hundred dollars a month yeah. to to own that building because it didn't prove enough cash, they didn't care. But then all of a sudden, two thousand eight happens, and the values dropped like this. Yeah. So if you didn't have positive cash flow when you bought the property, now now you've got a thing, and you you have no appreciation and you have no cash flow. I owned properties all through that period, and. Uh, one of my properties in particular went down, lost half of its value, but the rents continued to maintain and go up and it was a positive cash flowing property. So it didn't, mm. it didn't matter. Yeah. And uh, the, the, the real estate guys who have a podcast ha said something really interesting at a conference. They said, the only time that the value of a property matters is two times, one when you're buying and two when you're selling. So the fact that my property went down, uh, 50% doesn't matter unless I need to sell right now. Otherwise, I just sit there and collect the cash flow until the value comes right. back. Yeah. So uh, that's why you need to invest for cash flow. And, right. uh, and you don't get that typically in the stock market. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, again, you're getting like uh, dividend paying um, stocks or like of companies. Right. Right. Yeah. But yeah, yeah but but. Anyways, I, I guess a lot of people not, don't even know what we're talking about in terms of, uh, but I think it's just important to say, like everybody here listening, listen, when you're working right now, right, if you're a creative like me, then most creatives like me are working actually in companies. They can be even like uh, design managers. They can actually earn a lot of money. But at the end of the day, you're on the trade mill. Until when? Until you, you know, you get into your pension and then hopefully your, your regular investments would be enough to you know to to live for the rest of your life um mm -hmm. but you're like you're on the treadmill you're never gonna stop like and i remember the first time one of my mentors told me like sagi your thing is you want to you know you want to get to a point where all the money that you need to 
for your family and living like for a month is paid in cash flow um, from your investments. And when that happens, you're, you're good, you're set, you're good to go. You can work if you want, you don't have to work if you don't want. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, that's like, and I'm like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> what did you just say? You said like, it can, I, can, I can get to a point where I have investments that are paying me every month enough that I don't even have to work. And, and he was like, yeah, man, like that's, that's the whole point, man. Like, I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> so there's like investments and especially like investments that are um, towards cash flow um, and, and, you know, these alternative investments that we're talking about are all about like getting you to a point where you have enough cash flow that you don't have to even work. Um, and all that extra work that you're actually doing is not because you're on the treadmill. It's because you want to work. You can do whatever you love to do and you can actually be fulfilled so um, and contribute to the world, right? Um, so yeah, sorry, I'm just, I just want to put that out there to anyone who's like uh, maybe a creative that's working hard and on the trail and not understanding why we're even talking investments. Investments are to the point where how do you gain financial freedom from investing? So in a way, yeah. Yeah, you know, one of the things I say at, uh, at the end of every one of my articles or, or YouTube videos is, you know, when you make better financial decisions, someday you can make work a choice instead of a necessity. There's nothing wrong with working, but the best place to be is exactly what you said, where you can work doing whatever you love, whether it makes money or not. And so that's the place. And, you know, typically it takes a lifetime, you know, to kind of get there, but you can get there much faster with conventional and with alternatives and conventionals. I did it in less than 10 years. And actually Amen. my last blog was a, was a guy who's, who's going to retire. He, he works here in the U S and uh, he's going to retire or have the option to retire at 43 years old. And he's done that over the course of, you know, wow. probably even less than, than I did. Yeah. Uh, but it's, you know, you kind of, I heard somebody say you need to have three hobbies, one that makes you uh, one that uh, exercises your creativity, one that keeps you physically fit and one that makes you money. Right. (laughs) And so we, you know, even though, you know, typically we all go to a job every day to make money, you really have to take a portion of that. You know, you're just trading your time for money and someday you're going to not want to do that anymore. You're going to be too old. So you need to spend some portion of your time figuring out how it is that you're going to create enough passive income so that you only have to work if you want to. Mm-hmm. And my suggestion is that alternatives are the way to go. Definitely. Man. Yeah. Thank you for, for shedding some light on that. Um, so, okay, I'm going back and going to share my screen again with the um, advantages. Okay. We were on yeah, cash so, flow. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So, so let's talk about returns, uh, ROI, return on your investment. So mm-hmm. in the, in the U S the S and P 500 is kind of like the big stock market index. Yeah. And that's kind of the measurement of, you know, what you're, what you're trying to shoot for. And over the history of the S and S and P 500, the average annual return is just a little bit under 10%. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what the stock market generates on average year in year out. But yeah. some studies have been done and the average investor only actually earns about 5%. And that's mm-hmm. for lots of different reasons, emotional buying and selling, you know, they didn't take all of their money and on day one, put it in the stock market and leave it there. You know, they got in, they got yeah. out, things that happened. So, yeah. so the market's generating 10, the average investor's getting five before taxes and inflation. Now you put taxes and inflation down there, 
man, you're down in the low single digits of returns. You're never going to accumulate enough money mm-hmm. in the conventional investing wisdom to retire. Uh, and, and everything that I do in the alternative space is at least 15% or more. So mm-hmm. you go from investors getting five in, in the conventional investments to me and my colleagues getting 15 to 30% routinely. And people hear numbers like that and they just think it's impossible. It's not impossible mm-hmm. and it's not too good to be true. So that's uh, uh, that's a thing. And then yeah. uh, the next oh. one, uh, the, these two kind of go to, do you want to, sorry, did you want to add something in there? No, no I'm just saying like, um, you know, 15 to 30% is pretty crazy return your investment. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, and then the next two things is uh, insurability and leverage. So mm. if, if you think of invest your investment as an asset, um, you know, something that has some value uh, typically with assets like your, your house, if you own a house, you can get, you can go to your insurance broker and say, look, I would like to buy an insurance policy to protect this asset against <laughs> a catastrophic loss. Right. Or, if you own an apartment building or uh, or if you own a piece of the business equipment, if you go to your stockbroker, excuse me, if you go to your insurance broker and say, look, I'd like to buy an insurance policy to prevent my, to protect my stock portfolio from loss, they won't do it, right? <laughs> right. So it's right. kind of, it's kind of interesting. And you have assets over here that are insurable and then assets over here that the insurance companies won't touch, right? right Isn't right. that kind of interesting? Yeah, I mean, and I also heard just just today, I heard like um, a, a great description of it. It's like, so when you're investing in, for instance, real estate, then obviously all your, you know, apartments are insured. Um, if one of the tenants burns the house down, for instance, you know, like you, you don't control that and it might happen, but you're insured right. and, uh, right. and, and, and doing just stocks, investing only in stocks, uh, which you have no insurance on, it's kind of like investing in a lot of apartments and just hoping that if one burns down the house, then the rest yeah, of your houses right. are safe. So it's kind of like, yeah. you don't, you'll never do that in real estate. You're like, no way. I'm not going to let one yeah. house burn down. Right. So, yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah, so pe- people's minds are just so conditioned. You would never think about buying a property or an expensive car or boat or anything like that and not insuring it. But people put their life savings yeah. in, the, in, a, in an investment that absolutely has the possibility to have wild swings in value yeah. and have no protection. And if, the, if you're, if you're uh, you know, a week away from quitting your job and retirement and the value of your portfolio went from here to here, you're kind of in a really bad way because, you know, you have to actually sell pieces of your portfolio to generate cash flow. And if, if the value just dropped like this, you're in a bad way. So, uh, so, and then uh, the next one is leverage. So uh, in the alternative space, especially in real estate, you can go to a bank and say, look, I would like to uh, buy uh, this, uh, you know, $100,000 piece of real estate, and I'll, I'll put down 20% or 30% and the bank will loan you the 70 or 80%. That happens. That's just normal because yeah. they know that that solid asset is a good risk yeah. or a good piece of collateral. But if you go to a bank and say, I'd like to borrow, you know, $80,000 to buy my stock market portfolio they won't do it yeah. <laughs> so yeah, again right. kind of interesting you know banks and insurance companies are are typically pretty smart about you know what they insure and what they lend against and they won't yeah. lend against a conventional investment yeah 
So, got it. So and then, um, so uh, volatility. So volatility is kind of the alter ego of liquidity. Uh, one of the kind, of, like like I said at the very beginning, the disadvantage of alternatives is that they all are illiquid. You can't turn around and sell them instantly and convert them into cash. And that's thought of as a big uh, disadvantage. But what happens with um, liquidity is volatility. So the reason that the stock market is so volatile is because people can buy and sell like that. Some mm -hmm. crazy politician in the United States, I don't know who it would be, uh, maybe his last name began with a T, you know, and he would tweet, <laughs> tweet something crazy, right? And, uh, and people would buy and sell, and, and all of a sudden the value of your portfolio is going like this. Well, guess what? My apartment buildings, my ATM machines, my self-storage, because you can't sell them with the push of the button, their values just are just like this. Mm -hmm. So actually, so anyway, so we don't have that type of volatility in alternative investments. Yeah, got it. And then, uh, and this is, this is a big one, taxes. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it, in the U.S. for sure, and I'm sure in the other places, it might, other places in the world might even be wor worse. Taxes are our biggest expense. Most people spend about half of their income when you add, you know, state, local sales taxes and fees, spend about half of their income on taxes. And with, um, with conventional investments, you don't have a lot of control over that. With alternatives, you do. Mm. Um, uh, there was a, a there was a news story because in, in, in one particular tax year, former President Trump paid $750 in taxes. Mm -hmm. So one of my blog articles is that uh, Trump was an underachiever because in 2019, I paid zero taxes. I paid zero taxes legally and ethically. The, the tax code uh, in the US and according to Tom Wheelwright, who's one of the smartest tax guys around, he says they're similar all over the world. 95% right. of the tax code is telling you how to pay less taxes. The government gives incentives for those people that do things that they want it to do. The, gov the government wants, and I'm going to speak about the U.S. here just for a minute because uh, I can speak about that because I know about it. You know, the government wants um, uh, to the, the U.S. to be energy independent. So if you're out doing something that produces or discovers natural resources, oil, gas, whatever, you'll get a tax break. Uh, we need, every country needs housing. If you go out and build or, or rehab or make housing available to the citizenry, you get a tax break. So basically mm -hmm. you're just getting it, you're going in business with the government to do what they what they want you to do and frankly what they know the private sector can do better than the government so if you go back to robert kiyosaki's cash flow quadrant you know the ease in the upper left are the employees and the ease the people that are employees and draw salary those are the most heavily taxed people right. at least in the united states and that's because frankly they're not doing really a whole lot to stimulate the con the country investors like me and the lower right hand who are who are finding natural resources building houses uh, we get a lot of tax breaks mm -hmm. and so you can pick and choose the type of investments that you want uh, that generate the type of income that's easier to shelter from taxes because you're right. doing what the what the government wants you to do
And and by the way, I just want to say um, a lot of people listening to the show are in the S, right? The small businesses. Um, yes. So um, so there's like the quadrants to anybody who doesn't know. It's like E for employee, um, S for small business, right? Uh, B for big business and I for investor. Um, big right. business is a referred to 500 employees and more. And small businesses... Um, are usually referred to the small independent you know person who has like this has his own practice or whatever usually this sole proprietorship and stuff like that just like really being taxed heavily so that the if you're a creative and you're a freelancer most you know it's it, it the, the most chances are you're being taxed very very heavily um and and by the way I was there as well when I grew my business so you know you start out as um you Here in Israel, we have a couple of levels, but you basically have like, at the beginning, you don't have any, uh, any massive tax, just it's kind of like, hey, start a business, see if it's for you kind of thing. Um, and then after that, you and, and you don't have any, um, um, any, so tax you have, but you don't have, um, sorry, I ran out of the name in English. Anyways, um, um, any vet, sorry, you don't have any vet. So like you're free from that. So anyways, um, and after that, you have the next level. The next level is like the very, very heavy tax level. I was there for like a year and a half. That was like where um, you're taxed so much, it's, it freaking hurts because you don't make enough money, but you're taxed very, very heavily. And I think that's what a lot of people are afraid of. They're afraid of this because, um, you know, I was, I was once like just asked from uh, my accountant to pay like about it was about 40k a month um, 40k one month I was just like hey uh, you know we're finishing your report for like the previous year um, and you know you're you need to pay the IRS 40k I'm like what do you say 40 40 what yeah yeah 40k <laughs> like I don't have that money in my bank account right now I don't have that in my cash flow and that was like you a year and a half ago or so or something like that and, and she was like oh you don't um well you have to get ready they want it in a, in a week so yep. um, you know if I was less smart I would actually go and get a loan and pay them but what I did is I actually hired really good people financial people and after three months of hard work like accounting wise and, and taxes and stuff like that turns out IRS actually owned me about 500 bucks so I From having to pay 40k I I got paid 500 bucks so yep. um, and that was actually stupidity on my end but on the other end just saying like um, you got to be financially smart and and just know that most of the people right now um, most of you that are small businesses we're being taxed heavily right now I'm a corporation so for me I'm actually paying way less tax I'm good like I'm mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I still, I'm still not 500 people. So I'm, and I'm not like really an in- investor, but what you're saying, Chris is, um, it definitely makes sense. I mean, once you, uh, really help what the government, you know, align with the government values, you know, then you get tax benefits. And, um, this is something that a lot of people don't understand, or sometimes they even complain. They're like, oh, the rich people don't pay taxes. Like, Yeah, they're investors. Like most of the people right there they invest and therefore they're actually doing the work to avoid tax. You should as well, like everybody should. Um, and, and, and it's actually fully legal not to pay tax um, and you know when you have the right investments in place and you know what the, the, the rules of, ta- of tax, you know so yeah. You know actually, when I think about it, the, the If, if you're trying to put more cash flow in your pocket and you're trying to build your net worth, 
the, you know, the lowest hanging fruit, the easiest thing really is taxes. Because all you have to, right. you know, you need to get it, you need to get a smart, uh, you need to get a smart uh, a CPA and an accountant, and, and you'll probably have to look around to find the right one. And there's a resource on my website, Tom Wheelwright's book, Tax Free Wealth, I would recommend everybody read mm. that and, and get the philosophy and, and, and apply yes. what you can in your country. But it's the you know you, uh, every dollar that you don't pay in taxes is a dollar that that goes in your in your pocket, and it's it's just you know it's just amazing. And sometimes you know I talk about these fifteen to thirty percent returns. Well, sometimes well I made fifteen percent on the investment, and I and I made fifteen percent in the taxes that I didn't pay. So yeah. it's just uh, it, it's Multiplied. it's just so much better than 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 being in conventional investments. It's just yeah. it's just crazy and 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 wow. just kind of. People just need to know, which is why I, I do what I do. So, do you do you think, by the way, just asking? I know we're soon. Okay, you know what? Let's finish like the lineup of. But uh, but then I have some questions regarding like uh, newbie questions. Let's say, um, okay. for, like myself. Okay. Okay. So then the next one is control. So in the stock market, um, you know, you don't have any control over the performance of your investment. You invest right. in a company, and you in you know. You hope for the best. Yeah. Uh, if if you go out and and uh, you know uh, you buy shares in a private business, you may be one of the handful of people that are making the decisions about that business. Or if you buy a rental yeah. property, you can raise the rent, lower the rent, you know, improve the property. You can do things uh, to actually improve the results of your investment. So you have control, right. more control, and then uh, also asset protection. And uh, in, in the U.S., you know, everybody likes to sue everybody over here all the time. Hmm. And so, uh, you know, if, if all you're investing w is done in your personal name, so when, when Siggy goes out and invests in the, in the stock market or whatever, you know, you, you, you own things as Siggy Schreiber, hmm. then you, you get in, in some kind of accident and somebody in a car accident, somebody dies, it might not even be through any fault of your own and you get sued. Guess what they go after? Everything that you own mm -hmm. is up for grabs. However, if you treat your investing, so you have a corporation. Now they're not going to get your corporation, right? Because it's yeah. not you. Yeah. Well, you need to do the same thing with your investments. You have a business structure. So you don't buy whatever your investments are, you don't own them as Sagi Schreiber, you own them as Sagi Schreiber's investment holding company XYZ. Mm -hmm. Now that auto accident happens, and they, they can't get your corporation with for your creative business. And they also can't get your investments because they're not owned by you, they're owned by a company. Yeah. So that gives you asset protection, as well as a whole bunch of tax benefits. Yeah. And so, you know, and in my case, investing is my business, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, so that's, um, no, and then, um, then, mm -hmm. then the old kind of the, there's two neutral items. So conventional investors, uh, kind of think that everything that they do is safe and without risk because it's been, it's, 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 it's been looked at by the re regulators in the United States, the securities exchange commission, and it's made it onto a stock market and everybody has, so they assume that that's, that's safe. Well, the, the fraud happens there as well. So there's uh, alternative investments aren't ne necessarily risky by their nature. So there's risk everywhere. And then um, in the US, at least some investments are limited to accredited investors, which means people that uh, a single right. person, 
of 200,000 a year more of income and a married couple of 300 or net worth of a million. Uh, I think the, the interesting thing is if you're outside the United States and you invest in a deal inside the United States, those rules don't apply to you. <laughs> anyway, there's some limitation. Uh, there's yeah. some limitations there, but you know, uh, yeah. there are plenty of investments that are open to uh, non-accredited investors. So that's kind of the whole stack there of, of um, nice. the advantages and disadvantages. Nice. So. Well, one quick question about asset protection for just a second. Um, and one thing that occurred to my, to my mind, like I was, um, so I, anyways, I was recently sued by troll, right? The first time I'm sharing this slide, but I was recently sued by troll. Um, I have a huge, I have Israel's lar largest design blog. I have a weekly newsletter and some trolls sued me for spam, which I did not never, like I never bought any, email lists. I never unlegally, illegally emailed anyone, um, but it, it's a troll, right? He, that's what he does. Um, anyways, right. um, I had to deal with him. It's okay. Like, you know, I'm past that, but um, didn't even pay him. Like even, even just a, really had to pay him just a very, very small part, you know? Um, and that's also just because I didn't want to take the time to go through a lot of things in court, but um right. But at the end of the day, um, it's like asset protection. He sued my company, not me, right? So like people can still go after your company, like if they would go after you. And then if you go after your company, then they will get your assets, right? Or or do you put your assets on a different company name? Well, yeah, you you would. Uh, so, you know, you've got, you know, your your. Your, I'll call it your working corporation, which is, mm -hmm. you know, kind of your business. So yeah. that's one thing. And really that that's kind of, so that's um, you, what, what, what you do for your livelihood is kind of a risky, is a risk is a, a risky asset. So you're interacting with the public. And, and so there are, there, you, you're more mm. likely to get sued there yeah. than any place else. Right? right. So right. you would have, that would be one entity. So, and you could certainly be sued there. So let's say you went out and, and you, you purchased some real estate, you would put that real estate in a completely different structure, right? Right. Because you wouldn't want those, you wouldn't want your, you know, your operating company to be sued by something that happened in the real estate and vice versa. Yeah. And, um, right. and you also would have, and this gets, uh, you know, this can get so kind of complicated that, that it, it turns people off, but it's just, you know, the, I mean, we all work hard to generate the, the income and the wealth that we have, and, and you need to take steps to protect that. You don't want to work your whole life and have everything just disappear because you didn't take the right steps right. to protect it. But yes, yeah. I mean, you would have, you know, I have five different companies and so that right, the right things are properly put in, in, in different areas. Mm -hmm. And, and these are, you know, for the most part, just different investments investments got it yeah so it's basically like diversifying also your corporate uh structure not only your investments right. <laughs> yes. yeah i mean it's a smart exactly. thing yeah okay cool so um great all right so first question all right um first newbie question um what is like and i'm gonna stop sharing the screen for a second here um so we can see also okay cool so um I am new to investing. And right now, the first plan I had in place is to invest in stocks. Um, my business currently is at a point where I can invest. 
I don't have a lot to invest because I also want to keep money in the bank for maybe rainy days or anything like that, you know, for the business. Like I need a couple months of right. runway, right? Um, yep. But I know that now I can invest in, in, and also I'll have every monthly, like a monthly, you know, sum to invest as well, which is great. Um, but should I invest first in stocks? Because that was my plan, actually, you know, to start with. Um, but Or should I already go to those, start thinking about those alternative investments and actually not invest in stocks, just keep the money for a second and maybe not even invest in stocks. So do you think like one comes after the other or it's one can be instead of the other? So um, I have a, I have a very different mindset because some people would say, Oh, well, yeah, you should have a portion of your portfolio in alternatives, you know, kind of like, Mm -hmm. you know, this small percentage. I'm the other way around. I have a small portion in stocks and mm-hmm. the majority of it in alternatives. So my personal right. opinion for me is that I would be in alternatives um, and I would, uh, the stocks, the stock type of investing that I do is what I, what I call what's called asymmetric risk. So this is, this is where you're, you're, you're swinging for the fence in the baseball game, the grand slam. So these are, you know, small stocks that are new to their industry that have the potential of, you know, maybe they're private now and they have the potential of going IPO. So I invest mm-hmm. in stuff like that where the upside is huge. Mm-hmm. Now, and if I, let's say I did a hundred of these little tiny stocks like this, yeah. 99 of them could go bankrupt, but the one that went would take care of the losses of all the other ones. So that's Mm -hmm. the kind of stock market investing that I do. But everything else is is alternatives. And Mm -hmm. when I look at my portfolio of real assets, uh, you know, versus paper assets, the stocks, all the assets that are that are in trouble are all paper, right? Because paper Mm -hmm. can go to zero, a company can go bankrupt and your and your you know and your stock certificate becomes worthless. All the stuff that's real that you can touch, like ATM machines and apartment buildings and self-storage, mm-hmm. those things are all doing okay. It's the paper things that are causing me the problem. So, mm, uh, Sagi, it, it, it's a personal it's a personal choice, and yeah. I'm just I, I the best I could do is share with you. You know, well, I should have said at the beginning, I'm not an investment advisor, and I can't give legal or investment <laughs> advice. Right. But. Um. It's it's worth saying that, right? On the show, everyone, yeah. you're making yeah. your own. <laughs> Uh, you know your own decisions in life we are you're you're not to listen to us and take any um any advice as something that you should or should not do um we are disclaiming any uh any sort of like legal um you know anything that happens to you you know it's on your own risk so we're, this is just let, let me, yeah. yeah let me i want to answer your question a different way so when, when I first started working at, at a company, you know, back in 1985, after graduating from college, uh, they, they offered me something to put my money in. And it was in the U.S. It's a 401k, you know, it's a, it's a pension yeah, kind of plan. We have it, yeah. And you put money and you have something equivalent. And, and I asked somebody, I, I won't say who it was. He said, put as much money in there as they will let oh, you. Oh, by the way, that, a few months ago, that's the advice I got from someone. Like, put as much money as they can in that 401k, tax-free. Just, just yeah. yeah. That was the worst, advice, the worst advice I have ever gotten. Now, like I said, that conventional <laughs> wisdom, it, it, it put me on a mediocre to average path. I left millions of dollars on the table by finding mm-hmm. that. So to kind of answer your question a different way, if I knew then what I knew now, I never would have done that. And I would have just started buying. What if every single year 
I picked or every other year, instead of doing that, I bought a single family rental. And over the next couple of decades, I would have amassed this portfolio of cash flowing rentals. And then maybe, maybe I would have sold some of them and turned them into a builder, bigger building or whatever. Yeah. But um, that's the, you know, that's what I would have done. if I could do it all over again. I love, I love when people think outside the box, like usually there's the box, right? And all the things, <laughs> the yeah, box, and, yeah. And, and what you're getting also from all these, like, um, I don't know, like the 401k, advisors whatever um like it like for me it was an insurance advisor in a way like um he, he's great but you know he's he's in the s quadrant right so isn't and um and so we need to think outside the box everybody listening to the show right now remember this like you need to think outside the box um and i really believe that after reading uh, Robert Kiyosaki's latest, um, like the unfair advantage, the, the thing I just read from, it's from 2011, but he speaks the same kind of like language that you speak right now. He's talking about alternative investments as like being the ones that exactly, everything you've been talking about here, like was yeah. in the book. It's, it's exactly that is if you invest in stocks and if you in, put all your money in like, 401k and stocks and things like that. It's the conventional way. And it's actually more risky than, you know, some, some other things that, you know, that you can do. And also the notion of like, wait, but if I want to buy an apartment, I got to get another mortgage or stuff like that. Then, you know, the notion of not being like being debt free is actually a, a fake notion. Um, yeah. um, but I would love to ask you um, because what what would you recommend for instance someone like me should start with for an end the second question accompanied by that could this be a side project or is it like something that i really have to invest in like because you have to be smarter to um to invest in some kind of alternative um investment right so and, and again i'm i'm going to keep going back to the same thing if i if i knew back in my 20s what i know now so when when you say a single family rental the problem is this stuff is a, it's a little bit harder, right? You got to get your, you know, well, how do I, how do I buy a property? How would I put tenants in it? How would I collect the rent? What kind of business, who would manage the property? You know, I mean, as opposed to, oh, I'm going to go buy a stock and you push a button and now you mm -hmm. own it. So it's, yeah. there, there's this, you know, there's, 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 there's a fear and um, because it's a little bit harder, but um, so in the, in the, in the U S there are, um, and foreign people can invest in the U.S. So, and uh, um, there are uh, what what are what are called uh, turnkey single-family rental providers. So, what that means is there are companies in the U.S. in different markets, and they specialize in either building or buying single-family rentals. You know, single-family just single-family houses that are designed for to rent. Yeah, and not also they 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 will they will build or or buy these houses. And if they bought them, they will fix them up and they will go out and find a tenant and install a paying tenant in that house. And then they also have a property management company and they manage right. it. Right. And then Sagi just comes along with his cash or his bank loan. And he says, I wanna, buy, I wanna <laughs> own that property that is already what we call a loaded rental, fully performing. It's already got yeah. a tenant in it yeah. and they're managing it. That's the easiest way to, to go do this. Now, you, 
you've kind of given over a lot of control and it's very important that you pick the right and reputable one of these turnkey providers. But for people like you, you've got a business, you've got a full-time job and you want to invest in alternatives, but you, you don't, you don't want, you don't need a second job of doing that. Right. Is the problem. Yeah. That's the, that is one way. And then, uh, in the United States for accredited investors, or like I said, I believe foreign investors can get around this rule, you can invest in what's called a, a, a syndication. So instead of, uh, so what, what I'll, I do is I invest in big apartment buildings all over the United States. Mm-hmm. And you know, those investments could be any, typically are anywhere from you know, like 50 to $100,000. And so there's a, a, there's a syndicator. This is a, a group that does nothing but this. They go out, they find the apartment buildings and they manage them. And then they raise the money from a bunch of limited partners. Right. So these are limited yep. partnerships. So basically yep. I'm why I'm writing checks to, to this syndicator that I know, like, and trust and have done business with many times. And he aggregates that money and they buy these buildings and, right. And, uh, you know, I get into these large projects that I would never be able to do. You know, I, I, you know, I don't have $24 million to go buy one of these things by right. myself, right? right? Or even the $24 million down payment, for example. But by, by becoming a limited partner in these things, you know, I get all the advantages. And it's not a, in the U.S., we have something called a REIT, a real estate investment trust. It's not that because a REIT is just a publicly traded company that mm. invests in stocks. So I'm an I'm a part owner. I get the benefit of the leverage that they get with the loan. I get mm-hmm. the depreciation. Yep. And so that's the other way. If you, if you qualify to be in those deals, those are fantastic. So um, those are kind of the two ways that are uh, kind of the easiest way to participate in, in kind of real estate. So. Got it. And so, so you'd, you'd um, recommend getting into one of those. And I heard about those, by the way, um, not even heard as much as even my, um, uh, one of my, one of the mentors that I talked to in recent months told me about this. And um, mm-hmm. he actually told me like the, the way to get into one of those is uh, the minimum investment is um, 30 to 40 K. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, specifically in the U S and, um, and that, um, and that, it, you know, it's possible. And I'm, the thing that I'm kind of also wondering about is like, okay, let's say, um, let's say I get into one of those kind of investments. Um, and, um, what's the, and by the way, to anybody who's saying right now, I don't have the cash flow for this. Sagi, like, Chris, what are you guys talking about? Like, I don't have, I can't invest. Like, I have some money to buy some stocks, maybe. I'm putting everything into my pension, but like, I'm not, you know, even if I, I don't have like 30, 40K, even 50K to put on an investment yeah. in well, real estate. Here's, here's my answer to that. Stop putting money in the pension and stop putting money in stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. Put that money aside or get yeah. together with three or four other people and 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 form a tiny investment company and come up with the money to you know mm-hmm. it can be done i mean yeah. the the investment is so much better you know don't put any more don't waste any more of your money in the pension fund or in the 401k or the yeah. stock bond you can get there you know you can yeah yeah i mean i love the idea also forming a group with some other people that's also good yeah. idea. um and, and i can does- i can i can i can direct you to a, a one syndication you can get in for as little as 25 wow, so you, awesome. it could be done you know. 
Okay. No excuses, okay. man. I, I'll definitely, I'll definitely follow up. Like I'm, I'm in, one hundred percent. And um, how much do they pay? Like, so yeah, you invest the money. What happens next? Well, each, you know, each syndication and uh, syndications could be apartment buildings, or it could be, you know, ATM mm -hmm. machines, or it could be self storage. So they're all different, yeah. and some of them have a cash flow model, and some of them have a model where where they're actually kind of flipping like apartment buildings. So it's all across the board. But I mean, your, your percentages, um, you know, everything like that, I go back to everything that I do is in the 15 to 30%, you know, average annual return. Got it. Got it. Um, so that sounds awesome. So I think we're, we're pretty much done in terms of time. Uh, we need to wrap yeah. up. But I think, first of all, we got a lot done. Like we got a lot of content uh, done, like a lot of education done in this like very short amount of time. So thank you so much, Chris, for uh, showing us the pyramid. I think it made so much sense, at least to me. Maybe I, I hope it made sense to everybody here, to you guys listening. If it did, please let us know by just taking a snapshot right now and sharing it on social media. Please do share it on your Instagram stories and tag. Uh, I'm at Sagi Schreiber and Chris, you're, what's your handle? Chris Odegaard. Oh, you're yeah. Uh, if you talk, you're talking about you Instagram. Know, it's um, yeah. I'm on Instagram, so uh, you can. It's Chris underscore Odegaard. Okay, O D E G A R D. Chris underscore Odegaard. Um, and um, you can definitely uh, just tag us, and you can also tag Commit First, Commit that First. Um, and I, we would love to know that you got value out of this because um, I really want to know. And also DM me, please DM me and Chris. If you can, let us know if you got value from this. And if you don't, if, we're, if you have any questions, also let us know because this is such an important topic. This is the first time ever I'm ever discussing this on, on the show. Um, this is, I think, this is this episode is going to be, uh, I, you know, 80 something. Uh, at the time we're recording this, I have a few in the backlog, but it's going to be like eight, the 80 something show, like um, 84 or something. So we never discussed investments. And I think yeah. this is so important. I know podcasts with like uh, over a thousand um, episodes that are for entrepreneurs and did not discuss investment, at least not in the episodes that I know. I, I can go back and search, but I never heard anybody talk about investments. And I know it's such an important topic because we all work so hard and we're entrepreneurs and we, we can talk about like, we're talking about the mindset and we're talking about whatever it, whatever it takes to create success and achieve your potential in life. One of those things is creating your freedom and freedom. What is freedom? But you know, we, what's financial freedom? Uh, we all want that. And there's a way to get there. So Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your, uh, your, your value with us um, and, and this pyramid and, and talking about those alternative assets um, and also when your book comes out, I'll have to have you again for an interview about the book. So whenever it comes out, let me know, ping me and we'll have you back on the show to talk about it. Um, and, uh, where, where, where would you like to direct people to find you at the moment? Yeah. First of all, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. It's always, it's always a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. If, if you go, if you go to my website, the prolific Okay. theprolificinvestor.net you'll anything you want to know about me all the social media handles i my resources page has books and podcasts i remember that i recommend i put there some of my past and current investments and uh there's there's three things that you could do on the website there's a conventional wisdom quiz so you take this 10 question quiz and see how you do with the answers and it'll give you explanations why you got some things wrong that you probably thought you were answering right and number two 
uh, there's a coffee cup on there and you can have a, you could schedule a free virtual coffee with me if you want to talk about investments or alternatives. And then the third thing is I also have an alternative uh, investment mentoring program that I recently launched. So, you know, when I look back over what I did, you know, over that 10 year, nine or 10 year period, now I can draw the line and say, this is the straight path that I would have taken, you know, instead of the zigzag path. So uh, if anybody wants to work with me on a personal uh, yeah. basis, uh, that's available too. So anyway, there's lots of stuff there, lots of articles. Go check it out, theprolificinvestor.net. Love it, Chris. And if anybody, if anybody sees anything that, you know, like you were talking about the pyramid, like if you see something, yeah. you know, if you only had this one thing on there, you know, if there's something that wasn't clear or if it could be improved, uh, just let me know. So. Awesome. Thank you so much. I have, I have actually one last question about the pyramid. Because it's a pyramid and it's in specific structure, does, does the pyramid order make sense? Like, does yeah. one have to go before the other? Yeah, I thought about that because when you were talking about Maslow's hierarchy, so the difference is, is that you don't have to start at the bottom. You can you can start anywhere on there. The order, okay, the yeah. order on the pyramid is more kind of what my journey was like. Mm, and in some okay, cases, okay. you know, like being a like yeah. being a syndicator at the top, that's kind of the highest level. Most people don't start there, mm -hmm. but you don't, you know, you could you could start with syndications or single family rentals or precious metals. You don't have to start with notes that are on the bottom. So yeah, the answer to your question is. Yeah, you, you can you can jump in there any place. It's it's different than Maslow's hierarchy in that yeah. regard. Okay, awesome, awesome. So I guess I can ask a lot about other you know cryptocurrency and energy, and I have a few questions about ATMs. But hey, man, I guess if anybody wants to catch you and have their own questions, uh, they can catch you on the website again. Uh, this uh, the prolific investor .net not.com, .net, all right? And uh, you can take the quiz there. You can schedule a free virtual coffee with Chris. Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. And um, I can't wait to have you back when the book is out and to read the book. So thank you. Awesome. That'd be great. Thanks, Sugi. Take care.